Hi, my name is Ben Christ. I'm a ministry experience intern here at the church, uh, for those who don't know me. Um, I've got all of my, the rest of my family, I've got two parents and three siblings who all live over in Paul on the south coast, it's a lovely place there. I've got a younger, younger brother Daniel, older brother Nathan, and then an older sister called Hannah. But yeah, we all grew up uh, kind of going to church, Christian family and everything. But my older sister, Hannah, she really struggled to uh, kind of connect with it, especially as a teenager and going on uh, as a young adult, going off into university and beyond. Uh, and I think the main reason that she kind of said why she really struggled with her faith was because of this whole idea of, well, why can I live my life the way I do? How can I enjoy my life and yet still be a Christian? Uh, what, what are all these restrictions that are going on? I've, as living a life that I do currently, uh, enjoying my life, being able to do whatever I want, not having to kind of live by anyone else's rules, actually that's great. So why would I sign up to a, a religion or a faith or an institution that means that I can't do those things, that requires me to kind of give up those particular parts about myself? It's an interesting point. Maybe for some of us here today, uh, maybe that's something that's quite familiar to us or resonates with some of us. Maybe over the last few weeks you've been coming along and thinking, oh, well, actually, I don't know. Uh, I've been coming along thinking, actually, maybe that's the same kind of thing for me, that actually Christianity, maybe, is it really that, that restricting? Why would anyone sign up for a religion where maybe you have to give up your sense of identity or... Why would you want to become a Christian if being a Christian meant having to maybe give up your belief in science? Interesting question that we discussed a few weeks ago. Or even uh, giving up your ability to uh, love certain peace people or have relationships with certain genders or sexualities. Or even hang out with them. Interesting points. Not saying that Christian, Christian doesn't do that, but or what about even does it mean Christianity, what about, does that mean that we have to only read one book for the rest of our life that's 2,000 years old and seems a little bit outdated? I don't know. But my sister Hannah, she seemed to resonate with some of these areas that she didn't like the fact that Christianity was so restricting and it almost seemed fairly uh, irrelevant to our society today in what seemed like such a free society. But I've got a story for you that hopefully will help with this. Thinking about this idea, actually, is Christianity all about the rules and the rituals, or is it about freedom? So, um, you don't have to follow this, I'll explain it, but we're kind of, to set the scene, we're in Luke's Gospel, uh, at the start of Luke chapter 4, so we've just heard the genealogy of uh, all of the accounts of, of Jesus, his kind of heritage, he's uh, been filled with the Holy Spirit, he's gone into the wilderness, and now he's come uh, back to Galilee, he's come back to Nazareth, his hometown, and, you know, as is expected, as a usual Saturday, so what happens? He goes to the synagogue, and he's on the road to that Sunday to do the reading, so what does he do? He stands up, he's handed the scroll, he unravels it, turns out it's from uh, Isaiah, so what happens? He decides to read. He looks down at the scroll, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favour. 
And then what does he do? He rolls up the scroll, hands it to the person in charge, and then he takes a seat. And you think, why does he take a seat? Well, actually, it was the custom for them at the time to preach while sitting down. Now, I'm just going to stand up for um, practical purposes. But he sat down, and everyone's eyes were fixed on him in eager anticipation to see what he had to say next. I wish sometimes maybe Sunday morning services were like that, that people were actually paying attention for once. But um, <laughs> no, they do. But it's Andy speaking, of course. So um, no, but yeah, they were really, really fixed on what he had to say. And so this is, yeah, what we were thinking about today. I just want to unpack a few of those little parts that he just read out from Isaiah chapter 61. And just starting off straight away, thinking about that very first line that he chose to read. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Although Isaiah is the one writing this, don't you think that it's clearly referring to Jesus here and how actually he was qualified for the work that was in front of him? He had come in the power of the spirit. And then he says, because he has anointed me. Jesus was the one who was commissioned. He was sent and he had just been commissioned just beforehand. He had been anointed because God has sent him and he had sent the Holy Spirit along with him. And then what does he say? The first thing, this first big statement, to proclaim good news to the poor. Not only has he been commissioned and sent for this purpose, but actually he is a great prophet. I'm sure even the scholars agree that even if Jesus wasn't uh, God, even if he wasn't the son of God, actually they do believe that he was a great prophet, he was a great speaker, because he knew what he was talking about, he knew the scriptures. He has been anointed to preach, and to preach specifically here to the poor. And that is interesting. It reminds me of the Beatitudes and all of the different people that he talks about in that. But out of this proclamation of good news, just like Andy said earlier, it brings hope. Jesus brings hope. And then what does he do? We've got three short statements that I want us to uh, kind of quickly brush over. But basically, yeah, Jesus, he looks at Isaiah chapter 61, and he also picks up some stuff from Isaiah chapter 58. The first main point that he says, and this is my first point I want us to look at briefly, is that he said, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus came to be the great physician. The word bind here isn't so much about uh, chaining up or restricting access. Actually, it's much more... Um, freeing than that we might associate christianity with uh being all rules and regimented one way of particular doing this but actually no jesus came to bring freedom and actually that's what christianity at the heart of what faith is all about is it's freeing actually this word bind that we tend to translate here actually it's more about curing and healing a broken heart when we say binding the broken heart it talks about healing curing a broken heart a bit like babies when they want to be comforted, actually you wrap them up, you bind them up really, really tightly in the, the cloth to make them feel comforted. And actually that's what Jesus is doing here. When you're brokenhearted, he comforts you. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to comfort and cure those who are struggling. We've all felt broken in heart at some point, I imagine. Whether that's through the loss of a loved one, or through separation, or just that feeling of being unloved. Jesus has come to heal the broken. Just like a doctor, he says that he is the great physician. The doctor ready to patch up our wounds and comfort us in our pain and our brokenness, whatever situation we're going through. 
He has come to heal us so that we can be free. The next point in the passage that he mentions, he says that he has sent me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Now, maybe this is an obvious one. I don't know what particularly he refers to himself as a word here. Maybe he's the great optician or he's the great guider. But whatever words you want to think about as Jesus being that thing, he is this person who brings recovery to the blind, sight to the blind. He's also justified in another um, term that he says here as bringing people out of the darkness. Just as we hear in John chapter 3, where we talk about the verdict being between the light and the darkness. We have this choice. We have all chosen the darkness, is what John 3 says. We've all chosen to be blinded, and now we are blinded by the things that are around us. And yet, Jesus says that he has come to bring us out of that darkness and to bring us light by the power of his spirit. One book quotes it as saying that Christ came to tell us that he has eye salve for us, which we may have if we ask. If our prayer is really for our eyes to be open, then Jesus says, I will open your eyes. I will give you sight. But not many of us are physically blind here. I hope not, looking around the place. But actually, I would say that Jesus here, he's talking not specifically just about, well, not at all really, about restoring sight to the blind as such, but he's talking uh, emotionally, mentally, and thinking, actually, I am giving you, uh, in the sense that I'm taking you out of the darkness. This is not just a physical darkness, but this is actually uh, darkness in your future, your concerns, what is going on in my life, a confusion that is happening. It's so easy for us to find ourselves walking in the darkness, not knowing what to do or where to go. But Jesus has come to take our hand and to guide us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. So to see freedom from uncertainty, from anxiety, from this blindness, Jesus gives us. For many years, I think for myself, I was kind of held captive by this idea of I always needed to be better than other people. Um, I know I never was better than everyone, but at the same time, in my mind, I had this, this belief system that it made me feel like I had to be the smartest in the class to stand out in in the in the room to be the one who was the most intelligent had the best career who had the best kind of prospects for the future but god did something quite dramatic at me whilst i was at university here i was uh i was doing quite well at university at the time i was studying mathematics i was doing really well in my assignments and my exams i was on track for a first and i knew my job prospects were there i knew that i could get a great job uh a very well-paid job in mathematics and actually I felt oh yeah this is this is definitely what I want but then I went through this process of realizing actually that wasn't what God wanted for my life that he took me on a different path and it was really humbling because at that moment I had to take a step back and and say to and see see my life about this pursuit that I've been living my life for up until this point I'd always be driven by trying to be the better person trying to be the better than everyone else whereas actually Jesus He took me out of that, took me off the uh, career kind of ladder, as it were. And actually, he showed me a different path. He took me out of uh, kind of this confusion and chaos that I was in. And he brought me into a place where I knew my future and my purpose. And I knew that it, it played a part in his big picture plan for my life. And finally, just this last point where he says, he has sent me 
to set the oppressed free and to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Jesus came to be the great redeemer. Not only could Christ proclaim freedom, just as other preachers could, but actually he had the power and authority to also set them free. He specifically added this line, to set the oppressed free, even though that is not in Isaiah chapter 61. It's in a couple of chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 58. Whether or not this was uh, because the scroll had that particular bit in that way, or it was missing a bit, or whatever it was, maybe he deliberately did it, or he was quoting from memory. We don't know. But actually, he did say it, and I think that is a particular reason why he said it. The oppressed that are mentioned here are better captured as, uh, better translated as captured, or even held under captive, captive by sin. Jesus came to give forgiveness from captivity, to set us free from sin. And we're no longer slaves to sin. And there's a great song that talks about that as well. And then he qualifies it all by saying the famous lines in verse 21. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What you have heard today means the scripture has been fulfilled. And I think that's just incredible that actually Jesus, in reading this scripture, it was actually talking about himself. And he fulfilled that when he read it out to that congregation at the synagogue. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christ has come, he has died for us so that we may have freedom. John 3.16, I'm sure many of us have heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die but have eternal life. But what does that actually mean? It means that Jesus died for us so that we could have freedom, freedom from sin, that we were not tied down to that slavery, that, that captivity of sin anymore, and that actually we could see true freedom. But, okay, going back to, right to the start then, my sister Hannah, I, I talk about this freedom as if it's something really amazing, but surely without Christ, surely we can still do all these things. Well, actually in John 10.10, 10, um, Jesus says these incredible words, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the very full. Arguably, I'd say that actually, if we don't know Christ, then we don't know true freedom. We can't live life to the very full because of the things that he showed us through his life. And from what we've seen, as many of us have as Christians already. Jesus came to give us freedom, true freedom, and that means life in all its fullness. If you think you're satisfied with your current life, then wait to see what the plans God has for your life. Plans to give you a hope and a future of his perfect and pleasing will, far greater than we could ever imagine. Maybe tonight you need a physician, maybe to heal some sort of broken heart that you have. Maybe you need direction or guidance, sight received. Or maybe you need forgiveness for something that is overburdening you, is feel like you're, you're captivated or captured by that. Whatever it is, Jesus gives us freedom as an outpouring. Jesus gives us this freedom. And out of that brings joy, I would say. There's so many different things that freedom gives us. I mean, think about David when he felt truly free. He was able to dance in 
and he, you could tell that he was really loving life at that moment. He knew, he knew freedom, uh, the freedom that God gives, um, and he was able to express it in such an open and physical way. But what does the outpouring of freedom look like for most of us today? Maybe that doesn't mean running down the street, dancing in a linen effort or whatever. Whatever it is, I would say in many ways, freedom means total submission to him. So how do we respond to this? How, how do we act like this in our, if we know that we have freedom in Christ? Well, what outwardly, how, how would it look like? Are we experiencing an outpouring of freedom in the way we give? Are we experiencing an outpouring of freedom in the way we serve? Or the way that we show generosity or love or kindness to others? Freedom in the way we love each other. Freedom in generosity. Freedom in worship. Do we feel truly free to be ourselves, to, be, to act in the particular way that God created us during times of worship? Do, do we feel truly free when we're in evangelism, when we're sharing our faith with others? Because we have freedom in Christ. Jesus is offering us freedom, but I would say in many ways that is a process. And although we, we do get um, freed from sin straight away when, when we accept Jesus into our hearts, actually, for a lot of us, uh, that process of seeing freedom in our lives in other areas may take a long time to heal, whether that's he- healing in those different areas, whether that's seeing uh, that, that, that recovery of sight, understanding what God wants for our lives. I think something, this was particularly something that I felt God put on my heart for today was this idea of freedom and actually that we can receive freedom in Christ. Andy didn't have a clue what I was going to be speaking on and I didn't until God gave me this word. But weirdly enough, this morning, um, an incredible thing happened just outside um, our vicarage, actually, which is where myself, Andy and Mary are living at the moment, um, just next to the church. And there's a, a, a flower that has been uh, planted for about a year now um, outside next to the door in our, in our garden. And it's called the Spirit of Freedom Rose. And basically, it's a lovely pink rose. And it says, and it says this. Basically, it today was the day that it blossomed. And actually, I think in many ways it's prophetic for not only um, us here today, but also us as a church. That actually we are starting to see freedom in many ways, and actually we are seeing freedom blossoming in different people at different stages. The flowers of this rose start out as small rounded buds that slowly open to form cup-shaped flowers with lots of petals. They become massive, massive flower roses. They are very resistant to disease. A rose with beauty that is reminiscent of old-fashioned roses. But one thing that I think is incredible about this rose, that's called Spirit of Freedom, is that it gives off the smell of myrrh. Now, uh, yeah, I'm sure those of you kind of can make the connection there. But actually, isn't it incredible that a flower that represents freedom in many ways, when we smell it, we're reminded of the sacrifice that was made for our freedom from Jesus who died on the cross and then his body was anointed with myrrh and now it brings us freedom because of that. It is because of Christ that we have freedom. Freedom to choose how we live our lives. Freedom to choose whether to live in the light or in the darkness. And we can receive freedom through Christ in the way he heals the broken. He gives sight to the blind. 
to those of us in uncertainty and in the darkness, and to those, uh, and he forgives those in captivity, captivated by sin. So how do we respond to this? For many, some of us here today, that might mean saying yes, yes to Jesus for the first time, letting him come into our lives and breaking off any chains that are holding us back from experiencing this freedom that comes from Christ. Or for many others of us here today, maybe God's calling us, if this is for you, to seek freedom in Christ in another area of our life. Maybe that involves being healed from something in your heart. Maybe that involves being given sight in an area of confusion or uncertainty or darkness. Maybe that involves being forgiven for something that has held you captive, has burdened you for so long. And by doing this, if we allow us to truly experience God's presence, it will help us to experience freedom in even greater way. And it will, exp- it will overflow from that in the way we worship, in the way we give, in the way we pray, in the way we come, belong, serve, give, live our lives, ultimately. So I want us to just close your eyes now, and I'm just going to uh, speak a few words and then pray to close. Um, I don't know what's next, but yeah, just, just close your eyes and maybe just be thinking, uh, reflecting back on this now. I'm willing to bet, bet that most of us here are struggling in one of these areas, blocking us up from experiencing true freedom Christ offers us. If you're feeling broken at the moment, Jesus says to you, come to me and I will heal you. I will bind up your wounds and give you comfort. If you're feeling confused, uncertain of the future at the moment, afraid of what's to come, Jesus says to you, come to me and I will give you sight, clarity to see where you're going, my perfect and pleasing plan for your future. And if you're feeling crushed, overburdened by sin, that feeling that's weighing you down, Jesus says to you, come to me and I will give you freedom from sin. Yes, Lord, I... We thank you for today and we thank you for what you are doing in each of our lives, every step of the way, wherever we are in our journeys with you. Whether we know you so intimately or whether you still seem far off. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done in dying on the cross for us and giving us this freedom that we so readily have to grasp. Help us to know you. Help us to know your love. Help us to experience your healing power in our lives. Help us to experience that um, recovery of sight now, Lord. Forgive us for those areas that have been weighing over us so hard. For this reason, I, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every heaven family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power, together with all the saints, to comprehend the length and the width and height and depth of his love, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do infinitely more than we can all ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations for an ever, ever, and ever. Amen.